Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Amateur Hunter Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Amateur Hunter. We've just been plugging away here. If you can believe it, we're actually in our seventh week now. We haven't been uh, shut down, protested against, or otherwise removed from the internet, so I guess we can call that a positive. Um, if you remember from last week, we started our series on how we're going to prepare for our hunting season this year. Last week was all about the physical and mental prep, which I think is probably the most important. This week we're going to get into what I consider the second most important part of getting yourself ready for the fall, and that's uh, preparing yourself with whatever weapon you decide you're going to take into the woods, mountains, deserts, wherever. Definitely think this is right up there with having yourself prepared, because if you aren't prepared, you're you're just not going to be very successful. But if you're not prepared with whatever weapon you're planning on taking then even if you are prepared physically and you get on the deer elk you know moose whatever it is that you're hunting um, you're either going to put a bad shot on or miss altogether so you know all of these things really need to be taken into account they really need to be prioritized and uh, you definitely don't want to be walking out there with a piece of equipment you've never even looked at before so Without further ado, oh, um, just one uh, quick announcement. Um, I still have not picked up any sponsors. So, we're still just uh, doing this off of our own dime. And I tell you, uh, the, the amount of production I'm putting into this show, it's really starting to add up. I want to say um, I, I've probably invested at least $10 at this point. So... Um, you know, if you feel like you want to donate to this, go ahead. I I won't complain one bit. I'll be pretty happy with you. Maybe I'll give you a high five if I see you or something. But regardless, let's just go ahead and get going with this episode. Okay, so we're in week two of the preparation series, getting us ready for the upcoming season. Now... <clears throat> I put this out pretty well knowing that I'm late to the game, or, or rather, if you are listening to this and just now starting to do these things that I'm talking about, you're pretty late to the game. The podcast last week, the, the episode from last week, we discussed uh, preparing our, our bodies and our minds for this upcoming season, and I talked about really I started getting motivated and working towards this fall uh, back in February. Um, Even before that, after the the last hunt last year, I realized I was in horrible shape and and really wanted to start getting myself ready for that. So, but if you are listening and you are, you know, maybe you're pulling an over-the-counter tag last minute, you know, whatever, um, don't think that you're too late. Just work hard. Do the absolute best you can to be ready, you know, when your rifle season or your 
uh, muzzleloader, archery, whatever. Um, you know, just you just understand you're going to start really busting your butt to get ready. Anyway, <clears throat> this week we're going to focus on the tool that you are going to use to harvest your animal, or tools. Um, in my case, this year. I have an archery deer tag, I have a muzzleloader deer tag, I am weighing possibly buying a bear tag, I have zero intent of hunting bears or anything like that, it just keeps going through my mind that if I'm you know, walking across this mountain hunting a deer and I don't have a tag, that's going to be when I see a bear walk by me. So, I don't know. It's I go back and forth on that. But regardless, at a minimum, I'm, I've got archery deer, muzzleloader deer, and rifle elk if I wind up not going to Illinois this year to do any hunting. So at the bare minimum, I'm, I'm doing archery, muzzleloader, rifle. So I've got three tools, weapons, that I'm going to be taking into the woods this fall, up into the mountains, that I need to be prepared with. So, that's your first step, um, and, and honestly, honest, again, this should be kind of done ahead of time, like you should have been planning this last year, but again, we do last minute things, sometimes you think, you know, you're not going to be able to hunt, and then all of a sudden plans change, something opens up, you can go snagging over the counter tag and get out there, I have no problem with that, if, if I was in that position, that's what I would be doing. So we need to figure out what you're going to hunt, what are we using, what seasons are we going, and then... After we decide what weapons we're going to be taking, what seasons we're going to be going out with, you need to go over your equipment. And again, the earlier the better. If you feel like you need a new sight for your bow, cool. If you feel like, uh, or maybe you know your string, your bow string barely made it through last season. That's the way mine was. Um, I did not bow hunt here in Colorado last year. I bow hunted in Illinois. And my string was fraying when I took it to Illinois. I knew I needed a new string. It was getting pretty old. But I I just wanted to try to get through the season. And luckily I did it without any, you know, damage. So, um, same thing, you know, if you're looking at new equipment, this year is the first year that we're going to do muzzleloader. So I had to go out and buy a new gun. I wound up this year changing rifles, um, which involved a new rifle, getting that rifle set up the way I wanted it to, the the scope that went on it. So all I, I'm going out this year with a lot of new equipment. Um, my bow, I changed the sight. I changed the string out and the cable. I think that's the main changes that I made because I'm still using the same rest and all that. Oh, but I did switch arrows too. So I made quite a few changes this year. Um, but I, for the most part, made them early. I got my muzzleloader early in the spring, uh, like the same thing with my rifle. I reload my ammo, so I started reloading immediately. So these are the things that you're going to want you want to do ahead of time. You do not want to be walking into, you know, Bass Pro on August 30th to get ready for your, you know, weekend bow hunt on September 5th. Like that's you're not putting yourself in a good position that way because while, yes, you know, the techniques and, and the fundamentals and everything that we use to shoot a bow remain the same across the board no matter what kind of a bow you're shooting, you know, as long as, you know, you're shooting a compound or a recurve, um, things change if you switch between those two. But, you know, I've owned 
I don't know how many different compound bows at this time, and the, and the mechanics of it, you know, everything I do is the same, but there's those little nuances on these bows that you have to learn. Not to mention, you have to get them set up. You have to, you know, when you buy a bow, you got to get the rest, you know, make sure it's squared. You got to make sure you get your sights dialed in. Get your, you know, everything's got to be dialed in on these things. So you want to have this stuff done early, as early as possible. As soon as you know, you want to start looking at your gear. And once you, once you decide that what you have is what you want, what you need, stop. Just stop. You do not want to be that guy who has your bow set up. You've spent the last six months, you know, practicing, dialing it in to where, you know, you're you're putting some really nice groups together all the way out to, you know, whatever yardage you're looking at, you know, 40, 50 yards, whatever. And then all of a sudden you're walking through the aisles of your local sporting goods store. Your buddy, you know, has this cool piece of equipment and, and you just tempt yourself into buying it three days before season opener just hold off if you want it go ahead buy it put it in the shed put it you know wherever on the shelf until the season is over when the season's done then you can swap all that gear out but i'm telling you you're going to wind up regretting it if you don't give yourself time to adjust to that system i really pushed it this year with the bow i took a late archery tag I think it was right before the second draw ended. So this year in Colorado, um, we actually did two draws. We didn't do a draw and then a leftover. It was first draw, second draw. Um, first draw I put in for my, my muzzleloader tag. I put in for my uh, elk rifle tag, my late season tag. Um, and then I just kind of got a wild hair up my butt this year and decided late that I'm going to go ahead and pull the bow out. So, you know, I, I want to say it's June when I put in for that tag. So that was when I started really looking at my bow. I mean, I'd shot it a few times, but I, I hadn't done anything real serious with it. I was just kind of keeping myself in, I guess, a little bit of shape with the bow, you know, but I, I hadn't put in a ton of practice. I hadn't really reviewed everything, looked at everything. So after I decided to get that tag, I had to go and look at that bow and remembered, oh, crap, I need a new string. So I had to get with the guy I use um, out of Kansas and uh, order a string from him, um, and I, I made the mistake that I say not to make. I was wandering the aisles and found a really nice uh, four-pin slider that I really liked because um, that's what I've been wanting to switch to. I, I had been using a single-pin slider, but I, I, I wanted a multi-pin. That way I can really use my pins for most all hunting situations and then only use the slider for practice or you know for those times when I might have to take a 60 yard shot not that I want to um, I'm somewhat comfortable with it I, I I would definitely take it if the opportunity presents itself and I can't get closer whatever it is um, but you know that's pretty much my limit at this point I, I don't want to go any further than that and and honestly 40 and below is is my ultimate goal so i did do that though um went and got that new site had to put the new string on and then in the, in the midst of all of this i decided i wanted to go to the micro diameter arrows or back to them anyway i used to shoot them and went back to just uh your, your normal carbon arrows and tempted myself into going to the micro diameters again so i did all of that and i was doing this in june and july and we're now sitting in august and i've you know, I'm going uh, the weekend of the 5th of September is my hunt um, for my muleys. 
So I didn't give myself a ton of time. Now I've made up for it. I have been shooting a lot. I've been lucky enough that there's a couple of state parks um, both north and south of where I live uh, within about 20 to 30 minutes that have pretty decent archery ranges. Now that I have a house with a backyard, I can um, at least get some 20 to 25 yard shots in there and, and get some really good practice in. So I do have that going for me, but again, I was pushing the limits. And and you have to also understand, if you're going to push the limits, if you are going to kind of wait to the last minute for whatever reason, if you're a procrastinator or you just didn't know you were going to do this hunt until the last minute, understand that the way to fix that is to make up for it with a lot of practice. You can't be the guy who goes and puts five arrows under a target and thinks, oh, you know, I got plenty of time. I'll just come back tomorrow. You got to be the guy that's putting a lot of arrows downrange, getting really good solid practice and making every arrow count. That's how you can get yourself caught back up to where you should have been. So in regards to, you know, hunting these multiple seasons, a lot of guys do this nowadays, you know. There are still some guys out there who are strictly rifle, or I'm strictly muzzleloader, or I'm strictly archery, you know. I'm going out when it's warm, and I ain't touching the mountains when the snow starts, you know. So everybody, you know, there's, there's those guys out there, but more and more nowadays, you see these guys pulling multiple tags. And it's for good reason. You know, you're upping your odds. Um, you, you know, the more you're out there with a tag in your pocket, the higher your odds are that you're going to have meat in your freezer come December. And if you have a you know a blowout year, and you and you fill all those tags, I mean that's that's hundreds of pounds of meat that you're going to have. So, you know, a lot of guys are starting to, to pull these multiple tags. So what I say in regards to that is you need to get your gear prepped as soon as possible. You know, whatever you decide. So again, I'm going to refer to myself throughout this whole thing. And, and, you know, you as your own hunter, you, you take it as you will. So I'm going archery. I am going muzzleloader. I'm going rifle. As early as I can, I want to make sure that I have my muzzleloader set up. Maybe not dialed in. I'm not saying that, you know, the practicing has to start immediately. It should, and you should practice as often as you can. But my, my main goal is that I'm looking at the gun that I'm going to take in the condition that I'm going to take it. Any modifications that I needed to do to it, I've been done well ahead of time. Same with the bow. Anything that needs to be done, anything I want to do, needs to be done well ahead of time. Um, my rifle. Same exact thing. I, I bought that rifle. I, you know, glass bedded it. Um, I put the scope mount on it. You know, went out and found the scope that I wanted. I don't think I really did much to that gun. It's a Savage 110, and, and it's a 7mm mag, and it does everything it needs to do without a lot of help from me. So, you know, but, you know, I did find that uh, I needed a uh, cheek riser. So I had to do a little shopping around for that to find the one that worked for me. And those are those little things that you might not really think are that big of a deal, but you want to have them knocked out of the way. And I have on the muzzleloader and the uh, and the rifle. I you know I did buy both of them this year, but I bought them very early in the year. I had that rifle dialed in very early. You know, had all the stuff I needed to have on it put on. Same thing with the muzzleloader. I had everything I needed for that muzzleloader. It's set up the way it want, that I want it to be well before the season even opens so now all of my equipment is ready so now we need to prepare ourselves with that equipment and what i suggest in this area is to focus on in order of what your seasons are going to be the way it's lined up for me is that my my archery and my muzzleloader are pretty well back to back you know i get back from my archery i think on monday or tuesday 
that's Friday or Saturday, I'm back out with my muzzleloader. So I, it's a pretty quick turnaround for those two tags. But I get back then, toward like the third week of September or whatever it is I get back, and I am not hunting with my own tag again until December. Um, I, I pulled a late elk tag this year, so I'm not hunting until December for rifle. So I've got a lot of spare time for that rifle. Um, I am going on a hunt in October for antelope, um, but I'm not the tag holder. I'm just going. I'm going along, so I don't really need to be prepared outside of, you know, physically. So I'm going to prioritize that way. Right now, I have shot that rifle. I've dialed that rifle in. It is zeroed. Um, like I said, I reload my own ammo, so I have developed the load for that gun, and it's dialed in. But it has been put on the back burner. Because I've got archery and muzzleloader coming up in now less than a month. So those are my two priorities. I have been to the archery range um, several times now. I shoot in my backyard as much as I possibly can. I'm putting a lot of arrows down range on that bow and getting it dialed in. I took the muzzleloader out yesterday. took it up to Pawnee and... I don't remember how many rounds. It wasn't a lot. And that's the thing with muzzleloader. You're not going to put a ton of rounds. You're not shooting an AR or pistol or anything like that. You're, you know, it's a muzzleloader. So you have to hand load every single time. And it, and as long as you make every shot count, it won't take that many rounds to get where you need to be. So, you know, we started out at 25 yards, making sure it was on paper, you know, making sure we were getting everything that we needed, put it out to 50 and then dialed in at a hundred. So my, my muzzleloader is dead on at 100, and I'm happy with that. I really do not intend on ever taking a shot beyond 100 yards with a muzzleloader. Now, when it comes to muzzleloader, there are two things I really think you should focus on. And I will say, this is all coming from my perspective. So, in Colorado, optics are not allowed on muzzleloaders uh, during muzzleloader season. Now, if you want to take a muzzleloader on rifle... I believe you can put a scope on it then. Don't quote me on that. Look up the in your manual. Um, but I think you can at that point. Again, check for yourself before you do it. But uh, during muzzleloader season, you do not have that option unless you have a note basically from a doctor stating that you have to have it. For everybody else, no scopes, n- uh, nothing like that. It has to be open sights. There's a, there's a couple of things that I, I think... If you focus on, you're going to put yourself in a much better position um, when it comes time to actually take this thing out into the field. Accuracy, we always focus on accuracy. I mean, that's a huge thing. You want that first shot to count. You want it to be right in the breadbasket, and you want it to drop that animal quickly and ethically, right? So that obviously is a huge part of what you're trying to do. Now, there's a difference, though, when it comes to muzzleloaders. Muzzleloaders are very dirty shooting guns especially if you're like me i shoot pyrodex i like pyrodex because it it seems to be a lot more um gives a more complete burn in my setup and there's more there's cleaner powders out there i think triple seven is supposed to burn cleaner than pyrodex i think um what is it i can't remember what it is like powderhorn 209 not powderhorn whatever it is um, that one's supposed to be a, pr- a really good one, too. Um, the biggest reason I don't take that one is because it's normally double the price of every other powder on the market. Blackhorn 209, I think that's what it is. But, yeah, I mean, regardless, any type of black powder that you use is going to be a lot 
of a, a lot more dirty than your modern firearms. Modern firearms, you take them to the range and you shoot them all day long, and you don't even think about cleaning it until you're done for the day. I've taken guns and put, you know, hundreds of rounds, ARs, you know, and I don't even think about anything. I just, you know, shoot it. Um, when I take my bolt actions out, you know, I've got a 6.5 and now that 7 mil, I don't, I'm not sitting there cleaning them at the range. They're going to shoot as many rounds as I want. They're going to be pretty stinking accurate the whole day, and, I, and it's going to be great. You do not have that with muzzle loader. With muzzle loader, you're going to hit a certain point where that bullet starts doing some wonky things. Um, and it is, it is almost 100% to do with the fact that you have a lot of fouling, a lot of residue, just a lot of crap in that barrel, just making everything go crazy. And, you know, now, depending on how fast you're shooting and things like that, most of the time you don't shoot quick enough to worry about, you know, the barrel heating and things like that. So I would say, you know, 95% of the reason that you have, you know, however many shots right where you need them, and then one that just uh, looks like it, you know, did its own thing, is because you're starting to have a dirty barrel. Um, so that's the other thing that I highly suggest you you figure out. For a while there, when I was practicing with my muzzleloader, I would, I would take a shot, I would run a swab down the barrel. Take a shot, run a swab down the barrel. Well, in a real-world situation, that's not going to be possible. So you need to find out how many shots can you reasonably take before you really start getting some really off bad shots. Um, one of the guys that we were up there with yesterday, Jason, he shoots a Hawken. That's a really, it's a really nice gun. And I think he he was talking about, you know, he tested it on his. I think he was getting four to five, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, is what he said. Uh, before things started really getting a little crazy, Kip, the guy I hunt with, I think he was getting two to three before things kind of got crazy. And I think I was in the same boat. I think right around two rounds I could get and keep them, you know, within a, a decent group. Um, but if I tried to push it beyond that, things started getting a little sketchy. And that's what you really want to know. You know, maybe you have a muzzleloader that after the first round, that first round will, will you know, drive a tack. But then if you don't clean that barrel, that second round might not hit in the same county. That you need to know. Because that's going to be a big determining factor on what's going to happen. Say you take a shot and flat out miss. Are you going to go ahead and load another one and, you know, risk it? Or are you going to, you know do your best to try to clean a gun with a deer standing there and hope for the best. Those are the things you need to know because that's part of being a responsible hunter. So definitely those two things are, are huge, I think. You know, one, just, just getting your gun dialed in and two, figuring out how many shots you can take before that gun has to be cleaned. And understand that you need to take that stuff in the field with you. Especially if you wind up taking a shot and missing, you don't want to be walking around for three more days just kind of questioning that gun. You know, yeah, I blew that shot, but, you know, I'm going back to camp. I'm going to, you know, run some patches through it, get this thing cleaned up, get another load put in there, and then I know that it's going to be set and ready to go come tomorrow when I get another chance. So be prepared in that way. The other thing when it comes to black powder is understanding the equipment you have to have with you. You know, you're going to have a flask or a powder horn, you know, depending on how traditional you get. You're going to have a measuring tool of some sort, whatever that, you know, whatever you decide if you want to be ultra traditional you can use you know an old bullhorn as a powder horn and haul out an antler for your uh your powder measure you know that you know that's cool 
Uh, me, I don't. The more, I, I'm going semi-traditional, but mine's all brass. I'm using a brass powder flask with a brass measure. Um, I'm not going to use any speed loaders. I'm going to do everything hand-loaded at that time. I just criticize all you want. I've decided I want to do that just because, it, it, to me, it just keeps a little bit of that tradition alive. You know, we are so technologically advanced in muzzle loaders right now um, that it's almost, I mean, it's its leaps and bounds from where it used to be. It's almost like shooting a rifle. You can get some pretty good accuracy out of these, and if you YouTube it, you can find guys who are doing extreme range shots with muzzle loaders. I just want to keep a little bit of tradition alive, but I also have to know my equipment. How many shots can I get out of a, a full flask of powder? How many... Uh, how many, uh, not primers, but uh, caps can my, uh, musket caps, can my capper hold? You know, just the, the little different things here and there. Those are the things that if you figure it out ahead of time, you're not bumbling around in the woods when it really counts. The other thing that I highly, highly suggest that you figure out is your technique for reloading. Doing everything the same every single time. Because I hadn't really thought of it this way, but Jason, the guy we were out with yesterday, you know, he, you know, the way he just worded it, I guess, kind of clicked with me, um, is especially because I'm a reloader. And, and basically what he's saying is, this is just like reloading a rifle round every single time. You are measuring the powder, you are seeding the bullet to a certain depth, like you're doing it just like you would on a press, um, except for you're doing it by hand straight into the gun. But it's still, all of those little things matter. The exact amount of powder that you put in there really is going to make a difference. The, how you seat that bullet, you know, that makes a difference. You know, there's a lot of guys that will sit there and they'll tap it, you know, tap, 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 like three times. You know, I don't because I use um, ballistic tip bullets and I don't want to wind up, you know, screwing up that, that tip. Although there's been studies that say that it doesn't really make a difference, but even still, that's just how I am. I push it one straight push all the way down till it's tight, put a little extra pressure, and pull the rod. You know, there's guys that will, you know, um, just every little nuance about how you reload that gun, you need to get it down pat so that in a high-pressure situation, it's just muscle memory. You want to do it the exact same way every single time so that you get the same result every single time. And by doing it that way, you become faster at reloading because understand, you might need to do a follow-up shot. Now, Kip and I kind of have a plan for that. If, you know, we take a shot and we need to make a follow-up shot, we're going to re-gun. You know, we'll take our partner's gun, take a shot with it. Now, that's not really the the most ideal thing because we're not, we're not sighted in for each other. I'm sighted on my gun, he's sighted on his. But it still will give us a, a pretty... I, I'm not overly concerned about it. I think it'll be all right and it'll be faster so if we do maybe put not a great shot I would rather be able to put a quick follow-up shot to prevent that animal from suffering further but that's you know that's just where we're at but maybe that changes maybe we have a day where we decide we're walking in opposite directions to cover more ground so you need to know how to reload quickly and accurately and understand what that gun is going to do when you do that black powder smokes a ton and if you happen to be, you know, maybe you're up and it's um, really overcast or really foggy or, or the rain is about to come or you're in the middle of the rain. If you've ever sh seen these guns when they shoot in those kind of conditions, I mean, they smoke all the time, but, but when that 
you know, that you have the heavier, I guess, what I call it, lower, you know, barometric pressure, things like that, um, that smoke just lingers. It's just like it blows out a giant cloud and just stays right in front of you. How in the world are you going to shoot through that? So you gotta, you got to train yourself. Take that shot, step offline, move over. And again, this, you know, this is a conversation I had with uh, Jason yesterday, you know, he actually harvested a mule deer last year by doing that. Took a shot. I'm pretty sure he hit, but he, you know, wanted to make sure that he he took harvest that animal quickly. So he stepped offline, reloaded as quickly as he possibly could, pulled up, shot it again, and uh, and then he walked home, you know, with a, a ten point mule deer, five by five. You definitely want to just get all those little little things down in practice. Don't wait until you're in the middle of it to try to figure out how all this works. Put yourself in field conditions. Time yourself. Take that shot. And then see what it takes to, to reload and get another shot off. You know, don't don't use that, you know, lead sled or, you know, all these other things you can use while you're at the range. Throw your pack down. Take that shot off your pack. Even if, you know, you're sitting your pack on the table. Regardless, like, put yourself in these conditions as best you can so that when the day comes, you're going to be much more prepared. And I, and I think, really, that's the, my main thing with the muzzleloader. Well, I will say the last thing is going beyond your comfort zone. If you can, you know, a lot of times we're limited. A lot of times we go to the ranges, and, and the farthest the range is going to go is 100 yards. Sometimes, you know, like where I go, Pawnee, there are places in Pawnee you can shoot out to 1,000. If you can find something like that, that's a great asset to have. And, and when you do have that, push yourself. Just because you practice at a certain range doesn't mean that you're willing to shoot an animal at that range. My bow is dialed in to just about 100 yards. I can I can slide it to about 100 and put a shot out there. I will not ever take a shot out to 100 yards with that bow. But by practicing at that range, I become much more comfortable at shorter ranges. You hear that all the time. Bow guys, rifle guys, and anything like that, they'll tell you. Shoot beyond what your comfort level is because then everything in your comfort level becomes much more comfortable. So if you've dialed that, that muzzleloader in at 100 yards, shoot it at 150. See what it does. Shoot it at 200. It's just, it's just bullets. As long as you're doing it in a safe way, you know, if you can do that, then when you come back to 100, it's going to be like, oh, well, that doesn't seem far at all. So push your limits out in that way. And I'm not saying that there is an overall limit. You need to, you know, if depending on how far out you're going to shoot, you need to you need to do the, the homework to figure out if, if that's, you know, ethical. Um, I don't question one bit that a muzzle loader will kill any animal, deer, elk, or other, at 100 yards. I, I have full faith and confidence that if I put a good shot on, that animal will go down quickly. But if I decide I'm going to be one of these extreme shooters and I'm going to go two, three, four hundred yards with a muzzle loader, I'm going to be doing the math on that to see what the energy is at impact. Um, because, you know, you start bleeding off a lot of the energy and then you might be making unethical shots at that point. So, you know, set your, your parameters to whatever you want them to be. Make sure that your parameters keep you within an ethical um, way of killing. And then push yourself beyond it. If 50 yards is your limit with a muzzle loader, okay, shoot it at 100. St- keep telling yourself that when, you know, 
when you get up into the mountains or get out in the woods or whatever that 50 is the limit but if you practice at 100 50 is going to get awful close and you're going to be really comfortable there and you're going to be a really good hunter going back to the archery thing like i said earlier you've got all your gear you've bought all the new toys that you want to have put on it you've put them on there you made sure everything will work and now it's time to practice i suggest doing the exact same thing that you do with the muzzle loader just put some arrows down range that's the one really nice benefit with a bow that there can be a pretty substantial investment whenever you initially get that bow however once you've got everything that you need you really don't have to spend a bunch more money because as long as you're not losing or breaking arrows you can shoot arrows a ton so shoot them put some arrows down now i separate i have hunting arrows and i have target arrows I don't want to have any question that maybe I've got nicks, chips, you know, cracks or anything like that that's going to have that arrow just split in half out in the woods. So I keep arrows that are I practice with enough to to know that they are shooting as well as my practice arrows do, and then it's all practice arrows. But even still, just shoot, get out there and put some arrows downrange, and go beyond your comfort zone. I specifically got a slider so that I could practice beyond my comfort zone. Because, again, I'm pretty comfortable out to 50. Um, I'm putting 60 at the limit. If I shoot out to 100, 60 is going to start looking closer. If I start really grouping it nicely at 100, 50 is going to be just it's nothing. And then you look at a 20-yard target, and you know, you're like, well, I can't put two arrows in the same you know, place because I'm going to wind up you know, ruining arrows. And that's what you're looking for. You want to be as absolutely accurate as you possibly can be the other part of that too if possible some this is kind of a harder one to get into unless you have land or some some means of doing so getting elevation if you can somehow put yourself up in a tree stand or you know get a, a decently steep hill and shoot down it shoot up it at least for me it's always been a lot more pronounced with a with a bow i don't know why um, you know, trajectory is actually trajectory no matter what. The trajectory of an arrow is not is not calculated any differently than that of a bullet. Now they they are different in the fact that speed and and all of this other stuff comes into play, but it's still formulated the exact same way. But to me, it's just it just seems a lot different with a bow. And so I try my hardest to practice when I can at getting different elevation shots, especially if you're a deer hunter. If you're, you know, Midwest, Eastern, or even Western, and you use a, a, a tree stand, you need to be doing your, your best to try to get up at a tree stand and make those shots because it's a different world. But other than that, a lot of it is the exact same as the muzzleloader. You need to... You need to practice doing everything the exact same way every single time. That grip on the bow needs to be the exact same every single time. Your anchor points, the exact same every single time. How that releases fit, whether it's in your hand, on your wrist, you know, whatever you're using for a release, it needs to feel the same every single time. Your alignment needs to be the exact same every single time. The, the level of the bow, whatever it is, all these things that you take into account, you need to do every single time 
the exact same way. That is the only way you will become consistent, and you will and you will create that muscle memory, so that when you aren't thinking about your uh, you know, bow being level, or you're not thinking about, you know, um, your form or your mechanics or anything like that because you're staring down a gigantic bowl. You don't have to think about any of that stuff. It's second nature. You just, you have the bow in your hand and your body knows what to do with it. And that's what you're looking for. And, and that only comes with repetition. That's really what it only comes down to. If you can only get to 20 yards, for, you know, okay, do the 20 yards and just do the repetition. Get that bow so much a part of you that you just don't really have to think about it. As soon as it's in your hand, you're holding it the way that you should. You know, as soon as you as you hook on that release, whatever you're using, everything just is working the way that it's supposed to without you putting a thought into it. And that's exactly what you're looking for with that. But again, the further you can get, the better you're going to be. You don't have to practice to your max distance. Practice beyond it. Because all your other distances are going to start looking easier. And that's what you want to do. So, I know there's other there's other methods of hunting out there. You know, we've got there's crossbows, there's shotgun. I mean, there's there's all sorts of different ways that you can harvest animals. I'm going to focus on the big three though. So we did muzzleloader, um, we did archery, and so now we'll, we'll round it out with um, rifles. And rifle. To me, you got to think of it in the form of um, precision. That is a precision tool. And today's rifles, good lord, they are tack drivers out of the box, even the not-so-expensive ones. I mean, my gun was, uh, I don't know, it was like a five or $600 gun from the factory. That I mean, that's like the MSRP. I probably could have gotten it, you know, online for... Uh, you know, I don't know, four or five hundred. I got it at a pawn shop for three hundred. But they, I mean, it is an accurate rifle. I did not have to do much to it. I did a little bit of glass bedding to it, and that was really it. You know, everything else was kind of cosmetic or getting myself kind of lined up with it. You know, I put the scope mount on and all of that, but you know, the rifle itself was just, it's a good rifle. So you've got to walk into it thinking that this is a precision piece of equipment. It's, you know, shotguns are, you know, we always, you know, we talk about, well, you know, I, I just shotgun blasted it. Shotguns are just kind of a scattergun. I just, I'm throwing out a big, you know, thing, a big cloud, and hopefully it hits something. Whereas with a rifle, you've got to, you've got to think millimeters. I want, in a group, if I'm going to put together a group of three rounds or five rounds or whatever, I don't really think I did everything that I could have done unless every one of those holes are touching. If you're if you're not shooting under an inch group, you're, you're honestly not pushing that rifle to its potential. Because I'm telling you, even you know, I was I put together a uh, uh, it was a Mossberg, I want to say, yeah, it was a Mossberg rifle. It was not expensive at all, six five Creedmoor. You know, it was a cool looking gun, but I I, I know that it was sub four hundred. I think the guy I was doing it for, I think he got a pretty good deal, and he got it for like 200 some odd bucks. So it's not a, you know, top-of-the-line great rifle. But when I was developing loads for that gun, I was subbing away all day. All day long, subbing away. My 6.5, I've done a lot to it. It's in a completely different stock, pillar-bedded, glass-bedded. Uh, everything that I could to make that a precision gun has been done to it. 
but it is a savage axis gun. If you know anything about that, that is the uh, mo that is the entry level rifle from Savage. Um, it is just it's not. A vi I mean, I got it on Black Friday and I paid under two hundred for it. So not a top of the line gun at all. But I never changed anything on the action. The action is the exact same. The barrel is the exact same. Everything around it is definitely built for precision. But the gun itself, the one, the thing doing the work is a Savage Axis. And that gun shot out to a thousand without nothing. I mean, if I can hit a milk jug at a thousand, that gun's a pretty good gun. I don't have a ton of skill. So, these guns are designed to be really accurate. So, you need to work yourself into being as accurate as that rifle can be. You want to push that rifle to its limits. And to do that, you have to practice a lot. And, and you need to really take into account the, the fundamentals of shooting. You know, and that's, that's your, your platform, your breathing, your sight picture, and your trigger squeeze. If you can get all of those things in line, you're going to have a really good shooting gun. And it takes a lot of practice. I don't think I'm the, the greatest shot out there in the world. I know I can put some pretty good shots down. Um, my 7 mil right now, it's, it's, a, it's a half MOA gun. Um, when I was developing my loads and, and I, I finally found the load that worked for me, it was half-inch groups. So, and, and I'm not special, you know. I, yeah, I was in the military. Yeah, I did, you know, some shooting things like that. Didn't go to sniper school. You know, I wasn't any, you know, special operations kind of a guy. I, I just, I shoot a lot. Um, in fact, I will tell you, I was not a bad shot in the military. I'm a better shot now because I've shot more since then. You, you really have to put in that work. And, and it comes down to making sure that that gun has everything that it needs and that it's, everything is done properly. If you put on a really junky scope mount or scope base um, and some cheap rings and, you know, a junky scope... Um, you're going to get what you pay for. If I don't, No offense to the Walmart people out in the world, but if you bought everything for your gun at Walmart, I, I hate to tell you, but you're probably not going to have a, as much success as you'd like. You need to make the investment. If you're going to put the, the time and effort into this gun, you need, you're going to have to put in the, the monetary investment too. And we'll go over it more next week with my gear breakdown and all of that but you know with my gun I'm working with a, a Savage uh, 110 7mm Remington Magnum with a Vortex Viper 6.5 to 20 uh, by 40, 44 maybe by 40 I don't have to look at it again uh, scope so it's a great scope it is not uh, Vortex's top of the line um, it's not even their top of the line Viper line. It, it's their base Viper line, but it's got really good glass. It holds a zero, super easy to adjust, great magnification range, which is what I wanted because I plan on using this gun from everything from, um, you know, deer to antelope out at 600 yards. You've got to make sure that everything that that gun needs is a decent quality. I'm not saying you need to spend $5,000 on everything, but you need to get the best that you can. And budget for it because 
if you if you buy a nice gun and put junk on top of it, you're not going to have a nice gun. I would say this, if I were to make a suggestion, if you're out there right now thinking about getting your rifle and you think you need a $1,000 rifle with a, with a $100 scope, I will tell you to flip that around and you'll have better success. A cheaper gun with a nicer scope is going to outshoot a really expensive gun with a cheap scope all day long. Because again, most gun manufacturers now can make MOA guns just, you know, like nothing. Um, but it takes more to make a better scope. There are the, the bang for your buck kind of scopes out there. In my opinion, I think Vortex, you know, does a great job with their crossfire and diamondback line. They're not bad at all. But Viper's better. Promise you that. You look through a razor scope, you're going to know it's better. So do the best that you can. Set yourself up for success in that area. And then secondly, find a round that works. Don't go buy one box of ammunition and that's all you're ever going to try. You know, buy a few boxes. If you reload, you need to do several different loadouts. But put some different ammo through that gun and find the one that's going to give you the best results. Because there's going to be one that does. Um, and, and that's the one you want to stick with. You know, I know that there's an argument out there. There's a lot of guys that shoot Remington Core Locked. Um, and, and if you don't know, Remington Core Locked is a, a very cheap round. I wouldn't say it's bad at all. It's just a lead tip round. Um, nothing special, but it works. Um, but the reason they shoot it is basically they say, if I wind up 1,500 miles from home and I forgot ammo, I can pretty much go to a gas station and find Core Locked. And that's kind of true. Core Locked is everywhere. It's very you know, cheap and and easy to find round. But guarantee you it's not the best round that can go through their gun and that's what I'm looking for. I would rather make sure that I bring my ammo with me so I don't have to worry about buying you know ammo somewhere and have the right stuff that makes my gun meet its potential. So you want to be prepared in that in that regard and, and I push hard on this because with rifles again I think precision. You want that thing to shoot a dime at you know a hundred. Once you do get everything set up then it's, it really just comes down to the practice. You need to shoot and shoot often and make every round count. It is not cheap to shoot guns. I reload, which saves me a ton of money, but I still think my my rounds of 7mm are like $0.60, cents, something like that. It's a lot cheaper. I mean, if you buy them at the store, you're paying over a buck a round. So I'm saving quite a bit of money, but that still adds up really quick. So you want to make sure you're you're not just blowing rounds, you know, being dumb. Like you need to make every shot count, and get yourself dialed in to whatever range you decide you're going to be. You know, some most of the time it's somewhere between 100 and 200 yards. You know, a lot of guys will do 100 yards um, for kind of woods style hunting, a little bit closer range. Um, guys in the open areas they'll do 200. I sight in at 200. But once you get that dialed in, then you want to start pushing it. You want to set up a range card too. Um, there's ballistic calendar calendars. There's ballistic calculators out there that are really nice to have. Do some great things, um, but I I don't think there's any substitution for doing the actual shooting. I can input all the data from my gun, and it'll tell me you know what it the holdover is and adjustments and all that out to a thousand yards. Great, but I'm a lot more comfortable if I've shot that gun all the way out to a thousand. And I'm not saying you need to build a range card out to a thousand, but build a range card out to your max. If you say 400 yards is my max, then you need to have a range card out to 400. 
from year zero to 400, maybe do it every 50 yards, um, depending on what the adjustments is. That's not a huge amount, especially if you have a you know a faster shooting gun. But just see what it is, and and build that card and and tape it on your scope, tape it on your buttstock, you know, do something where it's right there, readily available. They have scope caps that when you flip them up, the inside has a card on it, you know, that you write your range data on. Um, you want to build that knowledge. And, and you want to do it often enough to where you can look at, say, you know, you pull out the rangefinder, okay, 300 yards, okay, that's, uh, you know, three clicks up. Okay, great, three clicks up, shot, boom, it's dead on. So you really want to work on that. Do a lot of practicing at every range and get really dialed in out to your max. So for me, 500 is my max. Um, I'm pretty comfortable shooting out to 500. And my gun, um, to me, is still, I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll drop big game, even out probably to a 1,000. I mean, if I'm looking now, let me see. Not, yeah, so I set my threshold at 1,000 foot-pounds of energy. That is the longest that I will shoot. For my 7mm mag, that is 901 yards out. So at 500 yards, which is what I'm setting my max, I'm still at 1,653 foot-pounds. That's that's way more than enough to kill an animal. But I don't want to go any further than that, because at that point I'm pushing t my limits to putting an ethical shot. Can I hit it all the way up to 1,000? Absolutely I can. Can I do it every single time and hit exactly where I want to? Absolutely not. At 500, I can get really, really close. I'm I am still sub-MOA or MOA or a little under at 500 yards. Um, so, you know, that's a 5-inch group at 500 yards. That's well within, you know, my comfort range. But I will tell you this. I have my range card built out to 500. I do the bulk of my practice out to 500. And then I do quite a bit of shooting beyond that because it is the exact same thing with any gun that you shoot. If you push it out further, then everything closer gets easier. It, it, it gets closer. 500 yards looks like a long ways off when it's, your, when it's the farthest that you're shooting. But if you took 10 shots out at 800 and then you brought that target back into 500, 500 is going to look a little bit different. It's going to look a little bit easier. It's going to look a little bit more doable. So you want to do that as often as you can. I would say... Um, you know, angles is a thing you got to play in. There's a formula for angles. And if it wasn't for rangefinders, I'd say that you definitely need to practice it. You need to know what the formula is, and you need to practice shooting it at steep angles. And it still won't hurt to do it because it, the world looks different um, at angles. But it's, to me, not as big of a deal because with these angle compensating uh, rangefinders that we have nowadays, you you hit the button, it tells you what the straight line distance is, so you just shoot at that distance. So it doesn't take as much. Um, but again, if you have the opportunity, take it. It's never going to hurt um, to do that kind of a practice. I don't think it's overly complicated. I don't think it's something you've got to get crazy with. Oh, but I will say, um, same thing as you do with the muzzle loader. You need to do kind of drills that you're going to be doing during hunting. You know, shooting off your pack, shooting from a seated position, shooting offhand. You know, what is your maximum range offhand? I will tell you right now, mine is not 500 yards. You know, it, it's coming way in if I have to do an offhand shot. And honestly, if you if you have an animal at 500 and that's where you're planning on taking the shot, I don't know why you'd take an offhand shot anyway. 
you know, you have plenty of time to set up if they have that kind of distance on you. But regardless, you. But I, I think it's it's really beneficial to give yourself the same scenarios that you would in a hunting situation. Um, even to the point where I have in the past set a timer, where I'll say, "You've got ten seconds." I'll, you know, it, it kind of is a dumb thing, but it it actually makes sense to me. I'll I'll have somebody standing there with their rifle slinged over their shoulder, and then I'll say, "Hey." elk okay now you know the timer is basically starting because you know there's going to be times you have just a very short window to get that shot off can you do it and can you do it accurately you know you'll do an offhand shot or you know maybe maybe i'll set it the timer and hey you've got 30 seconds these you know these elk or, or these deer are walking through it's a small lane if you miss them through this lane you don't get a shot okay so 30 seconds go Drop your pack, get into a good position, get on target and shoot it, and you have to do it within that 30 seconds. You know, those are little drills that you can do to kind of give you that a little bit of that pressure and just kind of give you an idea of what you're going to be looking at, you know, when you're actually out there doing it. And, and get creative. Do whatever. I mean, it's, it's fun to shoot no matter what. So, you know, do something fun. Play a game. Do a competition. Whatever. Do everything safely, but, you know, have some fun. Honestly, that pretty well does wrap it up um, for for those those three tools that you'll use for hunting. Um, and just kind of recap and kind of go back to to where we were in the beginning is uh, you're going to determine what seasons you want to hunt. You want to do that as early as you possibly can. And, and like I said earlier, we always have those things that pop up out of nowhere. I'm never going to turn down a hunt because I have less time to prepare. I'm just going to try hard to be prepared. You know, if somebody walked up to me right now and said, Hey, um, I've got a tag for elk archery um, for the end of September, whatever. Like, I'm not going to say no to that. I'm going to I'll take it, you know, and, and then I'm going to work hard to be ready for that hunt when it comes up. But to the best of your ability... Do your best to determine what seasons you're going to hunt. After you make that decision, determine what equipment you want to change, what equipment you want to upgrade if you want to do anything like that. Don't feel like you ever have to. If it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if you are going to make some changes, make sure you do them as early as possible. If if something's coming late, wait till next season. You know, sometimes things happen... Yeah, at the last second, you just got to deal with them. You know, people have had bows blow up on them, you know, two days before season starts. Does that mean you're not going out hunting? No. But to me, that means that those those two days are going to be pretty stinking busy because I'm at least going to try to have a few hundred arrows into a target before I get that bow out there. Um, but it also could mean that you aren't hunting. It's the worst thing in the world to have to think about. But the last thing in the world that I want to do is go out into the woods and and injure an animal because I was too stubborn to realize that I, you know, just wasn't prepared, wasn't ready for this hunt. It happens. It sucks, but it happens. But for the most part, you should be able to be prepared. So get your new equipment on there, get things dialed in, you know, get that new sight on, get the new arrows, get the new, you know, rounds developed, put a new scope on, you know, whatever it is you're going to do. Get all that done early and then just start practicing. Put some arrows down range. Get some arrows down. And and push beyond that comfort zone. Create some scenarios for yourself. And push yourself beyond that comfort zone. And outside of that, if you can follow those few steps, at least in my opinion, 
uh, I think you'll be in a pretty good spot. The biggest thing is to make it count. A hundred rounds of sloppy shooting is nothing compared to ten rounds of, of of precision, of making it count, of doing your best with it. So if you're going to go out and do it, just make it count. Make it a good practice. Okay, so like last week's episode, obviously this kind of a conversation that we have um, is not going to have a what went wrong and a what did we learn kind of a situation. This is kind of just a, what is the word that they use, you know, just a opinionated conversation where I'm just telling you what I think will work. While we're on that subject, I do want to give you guys the opportunity, if you have any questions of me, if if you have anything that I've said that you'd like um, some more information on, you know, for me to go more in depth, or if I've said something and you're like, that sounds really stupid to me, um, reach out. Um, any, you know, anything you have, just reach out. Um, it's, it is the amateur hunter at gmail.com. Uh, again, that's the amateur hunter at gmail.com. And give me any questions you have. Uh, it doesn't even have to be in regards to anything that we've talked about in this show, or it can be any questions that you do have about any of these episodes that that we've had. Um, just send me any questions you have. If if you know, if it just so happens I get enough, um, a, a lot of you know people with a lot of questions or whatever. Um, maybe we'll just set up an episode to answer those questions. Um, if not, you know, if anything, maybe I'll address it on the show, or maybe I'll just shoot you an email back, you know, to to give you that information. But the whole point of this is to have that conversation um, on on my level, uh, the amateur level, you know, without the intimidation, without the, well, you know, you're so far advanced, and you know, whatever you know, I'm, that you just don't feel like asking a basic beginner question. This is the whole point of this podcast is to is to show you, um, sometimes in funny ways, sometimes in idiotic or whatever, that I am far from a, a professional. I love hunting. I love doing this. I love being outdoors. But I don't ever advertise myself as professional. So if you have any questions regarding the outdoors, uh, camping, hunting, anything like that, please, again, email me. The amateur hunter at gmail.com. So next week we're gonna get into the gear. Um, it's exciting. I, I I try to quell my exciting uh, my excitement because I don't want to be one of those gear junkies that you know doesn't know how to hunt and doesn't know how to really do anything, but has every possible piece of equipment that has ever been invented. Um, to me. Uh, you know, kind of reminds me of uh, of Tom from uh, Parks and Rec when they go camping and he bought the entire, uh, what is it, Sharper Image catalog or whatever it was. You know, I don't want to be one of those guys, but I do love gear. So we will probably wind up taking two days, on or two weeks anyway, on that just because I want to be detailed. I want to, I want to go over every piece of gear, why I bought it, and and just kind of my thoughts behind all of that so i want to be able to take our time on that and kind of give people a heads up who are just getting into this that it does take quite a bit it, it can get kind of expensive you need to save budget do whatever you got to do um but high quality gear is going to put you in a much better position than than junk so but again we'll get into that next week 
Um, and after we wrap up those two episodes, um, we're going to be getting right into the start of hunting season. And uh, at that point, I think I'll be basically giving you play-by-play. Um, you know, every time I come back from one of my hunts, I'll, we'll go over that hunt. And hopefully it's me telling you a good story of how I uh, figured out how to harvest one. And, and But if not, we'll still, you know, maybe have a few laughs about the stupid things that I've done to, you know, screw up getting an animal. Regardless, we'll get into all that in the future. I do hope that you've enjoyed this. I hope that uh, there's, you know, I've given something for you to be able to take away, um, maybe help you in this upcoming season or in future seasons. I'll give you one more reminder. Anything, any questions you may have, theamateurhunter at gmail.com. Shoot me that email. I am the Amateur Hunter, and I will see you guys next week.